Father, thank you for another day you've given us. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for um, the opportunity in the middle of the week to jump into our cars and be able to come and drive and gather with the people of God. And, and Lord, we, we take so much for granted. We pray, Lord, that you would be with each of the meetings on the campus tonight. We pray, Lord, for our study here. Brother Chris, as he leads us tonight, we pray that you would use him. We pray for Brother Matt and Miss Jenny as they are ministering to our young adults tonight. Pray that you'd bless their time together around the word. And also, Lord, that you would be with Brother Austin and Miss Holly as they minister to our youth tonight. Pray for Kim as she's teaching our young our children tonight. And Lord, we pray for those that are in grief share as well, and Brother Wes and those that are there ministering. We pray that you will meet in each of these groups tonight and that uh, all of us will leave changed. May your spirit work in us and speak through those that are teaching. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, well, we're in Corinthians, if you didn't know. Move that thing down a little bit. There we go. Uh, and uh, so... Um, Anyway, what we've been going through so far recently is uh, a correct use of Christian liberty and then uh, self-denial following God's plan. And a big part of that, of course, is uh, getting the gospel to others. And then uh, last time, a warning to a blessed church. And so really with the Corinthians, I hope you're getting this idea, you've probably seen it already, they're kind of high on themselves and so uh, they think they're, you know, the special church, and they're just really, and really they do have a lot of stuff. Paul even says that, you know, you have the gifts and everything, but um, he's trying to knock them down a little bit and then raise them up in the right way, and so there's some correcting that needs to be done. They're carnal, they're uh, thinking they're all that, and yet they're living with all this stuff they shouldn't be, and so that's all going on uh, with that, so... Uh, tonight we get into the uh, next verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, starting verse uh, 14, and uh, called Flee Idolatry. That's what I titled it. Um, and actually, I was, <laughs> was making this up, and I was uh, um, saving it on my computer. I actually put free idolatry, but I don't think that's good. So uh, just for me, I just had to make a whole new file and ne- rename it uh, flea idolatry. So free idolatry. We don't really want that. That's uh, yeah. But anyway, that's what he's going to be dealing with. So verse 14, start with that. He says, wherefore, my dearly beloved flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread, which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So, uh, and obviously that's what you call a rhetorical question. Yeah, he's not really, the answer is like, yeah, I think so. No, not really. Uh, But anyway, three points uh, on here. The first one is this. A command to flee idolatry. This is not an option. This is not a suggestion. 
he tells them to flee idolatry. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, when you see the wherefore, it's pretty much like a therefore, which means go back and see what it's there for. And so, uh, so he's referring to the, uh, the verses that Pastor Josh covered last time. This whole idea that you had Israel, and they were God's people, they were the chosen people, and yet, um, yeah, God disciplined them in a major way. Why? Because the sin they got into, and he listed some of those sins, one of those which was idolatry. And so God punished them, he disciplined them, he chastised them, and so he is coming at at the Corinthians with this same thought, hey, look, don't you think that you're like that either, that you're above God's correction, that you can do whatever, that's not going to happen. And so, wherefore, therefore, my dearly beloved, seeing God is like that, flee from idolatry. Now, notice he doesn't say stand firm against. There's a lot of things that we are told as Christians in the power of the Spirit to stand firm against. But at least two things in the Bible we are told to flee. One is fornication and the other is idolatry. He says, flee this. Now, what are we talking about with idolatry? Well, Webster defines idolatry as the worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. I think that's a pretty good definition of that. And it actually contains two parts of what we'll look at tonight, uh, this idea of idolatry. Probably a verse that you know is Exodus 23, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a pretty good one there. Now, of course, there are no other real gods, but things that you call gods. God says you're not supposed to have anything, any other god before me. Um, And it would be fair to say, you know, with that, that if you stick anything in front of God, you've kind of made it a God, okay? Because that's his place. That's the God place. So if you placed anything there in front of him, you've kind of made it that. Will that that make sense? Uh, Also, Jesus said this. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Now, you can serve a lot of people, but you can't have more than one number one, in other words. Okay, Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or that's like money or material things. Okay, So here's the deal. Why flee? Why flee idolatry? Uh, Chuck Swindoll says this, Living dangerously close to the pagan world, they, the Corinthians, surrounded themselves with all of its temptations. We've talked about that before in an introduction to Corinthians. Paul warned that if they kept going in the same direction... What had begun as celebration of liberty would end as lamentation of bondage to sin, complete with demonic oppression. Now, a Christian cannot be possessed, okay? So I don't care what kind of movie you've seen or whatever, you know, it goes on. There's some crazy stuff out there. But if you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside, well, there's no uh, demon going to be inside at the same time, okay? That can't happen. But you can be demonically oppressed, And that means that demons are oppressing you, not controlling you, but they can bring oppression, okay? And it means it's something you've allowed in your life like that. Uh, John Polhill, who's written a book on on Paul and his his letters, uh, says what was happening here was a bit different than what was discussed before. So it's real easy to mix things up. They're talking about uh, meat to idols and stuff like that. This specific case, though, 
is where they're actually participating in a cultic meal. They're going to a place where the meat is and is served and there's a ceremony and all that type thing. This is something that the Corinthians would have been familiar with in everyday life before they were saved, okay? And probably something that's not just religious, but a social event. And they are used to going to it, participating, whatever. Well, now they're saved. Well, you know, what they've got is this knowledge. Me and them have this knowledge, now this liberty. There's nothing in the meat. There's no demon meat going on here. There's no way I'm eating like meat and somehow some demon's popping up inside of me. I know this. I've listened to Paul. I know these type things. So you know what? I can still go and I can get the meat and I can, you know, hang out with my friends. Sure, they're still unsaved, but, you know, I can still hang out with them in the ceremony. You know, it was always there was kind of something kind of fun about it, I guess. And we can hang out and stuff and all that, and it'll be all right. Okay, that's probably the mentality, and that is what Paul is talking about here. Um, okay, and so he's going to make an approach next with a Socratic type of approach, which means he's going to use some analogies to prove his point. Um, and so he's going to do that. So the next thing is communion with the spiritual. Now, many times we think spiritual, that's good. Well, maybe, but demons are spirits too, and they're evil. So here, we're actually going to discuss this, uh, both ends of it in his analogy uh, for good reason. He's going to show that. He says this in verse 15, I speak as unto wise men. Judge you what I say. So he's like, okay, you guys, I'm going to speak to you as, you know, as guys that are able to think and, 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 and reason with me. Let's reason this out. Okay. So he's really using kind of a Socratic approach that they're used to in Corinth, that type of thing. He says this. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What is he talking about here? What's this sound like? It's the Lord's Supper. Yeah, he's talking about communion. This is the Lord's Supper, okay? This is a reference to the Lord's Supper. He says, the communion of the blood of Christ, the communion of the body of Christ. This communion means participation. It's sharing with others and even with a deity and what you're doing. It's that kind of idea of what's going on. Here we see a participation of the people together, the people together, signifying their union with Christ and what he did. And that's what we do, and I believe we're going to do this Sunday, this coming Sunday night, is that right? Yeah, that's what we'll do. Us believers will get together, commune together, and together we'll participate in communion. Now, communion, the way we take it, is not, sac- is not sacramentalism. You're like, what's that sacrament thing? Yes, Catholic. That's, it's, we don't do it that way. We don't believe, you know, when you've got the little wafer, I guess it's going to be the round wafers or whatever. We've got the round wafers or whatever, that we don't believe that that actually becomes Jesus. If you're not familiar with the Catholic faith, they actually believe that a miracle takes place when they do that, and it becomes Jesus himself. They actually ingest him, and the blood, same thing with the wine or whatever they've got, becomes the blood of Jesus. Okay, the body and blood of Jesus is, they partake of him, literally. Okay, they really believe that. We don't believe that here. Okay, we do not believe that. We believe that is a symbol, but as Geisler would say, it's not just a symbol. Now you're saying, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Well, in other words, we've got the American flag over here. I was glad. Okay, the American flag, if someone comes in and burns this flag, which I really would not like, and I'm sure you guys would not either, does our nation fall? No, our nation doesn't fall if somebody burns that flag. It is a symbol, but is it just a symbol? No, that flag symbolizes the country that I identify with, the country that I love. 
It's not just a symbol. Sure, it's just a flag and all that. I get that. But it has great meaning to me. It has great significance to me. When I see that flag, it automatically, especially if I see it at the Olympics or I see it somewhere else among other flags, I'm like, that's my nation. That's the one I'm part of. I like it. Even as I'm talking, I even get little hairs raised on my arms and things because I love that flag. Why? It represents my country. So, yes, we believe that the, the wafer or the bread, whatever you want to call it, and the, and, the, and the grape juice we have, that is a symbol, yes. But there is more to it than just a symbol. It has great meaning to us. Great meaning to us. And so it's not just a symbol. It has great spiritual significance to us when we do that. And is there anything spiritual that happens? Well, I would hope so. As we sit here, we are asked to make sure that our lives are okay with Christ at that time. Of course, that we're saved, but also that things are okay between us and God before we even partake. Why? Because it's important. If it wouldn't, little uh, spoiler alert, then God wouldn't be wiping out some of the Corinthians in the next chapter for abusing it, which he does. It's important to God. Obviously, it holds quite a bit of significance to him. Okay, and so with this... We are partaking, and Jesus I made this special, didn't he? He's the one that started this whole thing. It has great meaning for us. And so he's bringing up communion with them, letting them know, you know, when you partake of communion, it's a spiritual thing between the body of Christ together and Jesus himself. This is an awesome thing that's happening uh, when that's going on. He says even further with the unity in, in verse 17, For we being many are one bread. See, we're all together partaking like that. One body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. There's a union that's there when we do communion. Okay? Since that union word is in there. There's a unity that's in there both together and with Christ when we take communion. That's a very special thing. And then he jumps to another, he jumps to another illustration. He goes back to the Old Testament. And he says in verse 18, Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar? MacArthur explains when the Israelites sacrificed to the Lord, some of the offering was burnt as sacrifice proper, but some of it was eaten by the priests and some was eaten by those who offered it. Everyone was involved with the offering, with God and with each other. And this is the kind of idea he's wanting them to understand. You, Corinthians understand all this, and he's reasoning with them in this way. And there could be, of course, a, yeah, we get this. We're all together, one body, union. There's something special taking place there, you know, uh, between us and God as well. We get it, the Old Testament and how that happened. Okay, and so he's now going to make his point, and I'm sure you can guess where he's going. But first of all, he's going to stop, because you know where he's going, because he's going to go to these ceremonies that they shouldn't be in. Okay, and compare them. But before he does, he's going to go to this one thing that they've been throwing up with their liberty. Okay, verse 19. What say I then? That the idols anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? And of course, it's not. Okay, is there really such a thing as another God? No, there's no other God. Statue there, big deal, it's a statue. The food, just food. He knows this. Okay, so yes, he's going to say, yeah, I know your idea that's there, and yes, I get it, before he goes and makes his point. Let me make a, a point with this. Um, believe it or not, believe it or not, not bragging, but it's just for illustration, believe it or not, I used to be a lot more fit 
okay, before things start breaking down in my body. I used to be a lot more fit. And, and me and even my, my wife, we used to do the, uh, the P90 thing, if you know what that is. We used to do that. I used to work out with that. thought that was great. Part of that is what's called power yoga. Okay, you're like, Brother Chris, you did yoga. It, power yoga is even disdained by a lot of people that like yoga because all it was is there was a downward dog, an upward dog, and whatever. So what you do is you just get in a certain position. There's no chanting. There's no like om thing and do meditation. All you do is put your body in a certain position, and it stretches and it hurts, but it's good for you. Um, you know, and so basically you would get in these. It was my worst part of the workout. I hated it the most because it just hurt. You, you would stretch out and stuff, but it's actually good for you. It, it both stretches muscles and strengthens muscles. But there's no real yoga of a spiritual nature going on when you would do that. Um, you know, and so we would do that. You know, we weren't opening up doors to demonic activity or anything. You know, there's nothing like that. You just got in the position, made that happen, and it, and it worked. Uh, you had to stick your leg, like, way up in the air and stuff. And, you know, it really stretched you out and all that stuff. But anyway, so we would, it, was, it was fine. However... What if I was to go and say, well, that's okay, and I go to somewhere where they do yoga, where they do chanting, where they have the mantras, where they empty your mind? Would that make that okay? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What's going on there is a spiritual thing. Me putting my body in a certain position doesn't do a thing, all right, any more than if I was to get on the floor right now and do whatever like that, we're not going to have demonic activity happening in the church, all right? But if I'm to understand that in a spiritual sense and channel things and all of that, that's a whole different ballgame, okay? And it's similar to what he's saying here. He's saying, look, the whole thing of, uh, I'm not endorsing any kind of yoga, by the way. It was just part of the workout. You stretch yourself in a certain way and they came up with it first. Okay, that was basically it. But, uh, but anyway, the deal he's saying is, I get it. Those things that you're talking about, they, have, they don't mean anything as far as there actually being something there. However, what's going on around you in there is something different. He says, but I say that the things with the Gentile sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. When you're in that atmosphere, you may not be doing it, but what they're doing in that atmosphere is they're offering that to devils. They don't know that. They have their own gods, you know, that are, but they're really sacrificing to devils and not to God. I would not, that's their modern day, don't. <laughs> I wish not that you should have, listen to the strong language here, fellowship with devils. You, do you hear what he's saying here? When you're going there and saying, ah, the meat doesn't mean anything, you know, the ser- look, we're just hanging out with friends. We don't believe this stuff anymore, but, you know, it's kind of a traditional thing in our society. He's like, no, no, no. You're having fellowship with demons. That is strong, isn't it? Fellowship with demons. MacArthur explains, when worshipers believe, like the worshipers there Believe an idol represents an actual God. Satan sends one of his demon emissaries to act out the part of that imaginary God. There's never a God behind an idol, but there's always a spiritual force. That force is always evil, always demonic. That's powerful. Okay, just as communion unites worshipers together in a spiritual sense with Christ... 
Joining in cultic practices unites you with believers in those and the demonic activity behind them. And there's actually some of this stuff that's crept in some churches. Um, there are prayer uh, labyrinths, I think they call them, and people doing pagan things they brought into the church from the New Age movement and decide to give them spiritual significance in the Christian church. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. And so, uh, and by the way, anything, back, back to the yoga or anything like that, anything that asks you to empty your mind is not of the Bible. You go and try to find me in the Bible where it ever tells you to empty your mind. It never says that. It says to think soberly. That means to think correctly. Think, think, think is what the Bible says all the time. It never says to empty your mind. Empty your mind is allowing is opening the door for a demon to come in. It's the real purpose of those, whether the New Age movement, uh, yoga, or some kind of Eastern religion, all of that, that is what that's all about. And so, so um, that is what's going on there, and it has crept into some parts of Christianity uh, today, today. So now the, the retort to this whole thing may be once again, yeah, but greater is he that is in us. Let me tell you, if you're in an area where that kind of thing's going on and you're willingly participating you're not accessing the Spirit. And so you stand in your own power. And no human being is as strong as a demon. Even as a Christian. If you're not accessing the power, if you're in your own power, you are not stronger than a demon. So this is the kind of thing he's trying to get over to them. Um, that this is dangerous stuff and this is things. And in fact, he then closes the argument in verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You can't do both. Yeah. See, the Corinthians thought they could play both. That's what they like to do a lot of. You can't do that. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. can't do that. You can't truly be following Christ and participating in such things. And this is even true today in our world of, quote, tolerance. We cannot do that. It does not work does not work. Now, I would tell you, this is what I call the first level of idolatry. It is the top level. This is a level where it's just outright, yeah, I can see that. There's a demonic thing going on. People are participating in something that they may or may not realize is demonic, but it's just going on. It's like a service. I'm getting that, Brother Chris. I'm not sure that I participate in anything like that in my own life today, but thank you for the message. So we've gone through those verses, and God's Word is always good. Thank you, and it's time for prayer. No, let's... There's more to this because I believe there is a second level. There's a second level. It doesn't go quite to the outright demonic things like that did in the way that they do, but it's more subtle, a more subtle form of idolatry. And if you say, well, that's not a big deal, I would give you the analogy. It's about like the doctor saying, you know what? You don't have uh, stage four cancer. You have stage three. No problem then. No, there's still a problem. Okay. Likewise, this is. So let's go back and look at Exodus 23. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't be placing anything else in front of me. And Jesus makes this one. No man can serve two masters. He doesn't really say two gods here. He just says two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, when you look at this, once again, it's easy to say, yeah, but you can serve a bunch of people. Yeah, but you can't serve a bunch of people as number one. See, 
when you have the top master is the one that sets your rules, your ethics, your right and wrong, and your top priorities. That's the top one. You may serve other ones, but that's the top one. Jesus said you can't have two of those. Yeah, you're going to serve something. You can't have two together. It doesn't work that way, especially when they clash like God and everything else in this world. Now, to make this point just a little bit to show you how this works, having a little bit of fun, so I am part of the VFL page, the Vols for Life page, Facebook, you know, part of that. And what they will say many times is, I will give my all for Tennessee today. I've seen that quote on there many times. Really? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I know that sounds gung-ho. I'm a Tennessee fan. But really, as a fan, how does that work? If you're at work and you're like, your boss says, what are you doing? I'm just looking at the voting, Heisman voting for Hen and Hooker. I mean, just like looking at it, comparing I'm looking at how I think they're going to do in the game for, against Clemson. Because you know what? I will give my all for Tennessee today. He'll say, you're fired. What are you doing? And you were saying, that's kind of silly. I mean, you do that to your family. I'm sorry. I can't do anything at the house today. I got to check up on the Vols. You're like, what? Now, we see this is silly. Of course, for God, too. We can't put off God with this. this is, I mean, what if we even put this in the realm of, say, a player? Is that okay for a player to say, well, is it to cheat? I will do whatever I need to do to make the ball successful. See, with this, I'm trying to make a point here uh, with this whole thing. Uh, The deal is, let's put this in another way. I want that promotion. I want that promotion. It's going to be the number one thing I want. Thus, I'm willing to backstab other employees to get in. I will lie about my credentials. I'll sacrifice whatever, family, God, to get it. What this is known in philosophy and ethics is the ends justifies the means. This is the ends justify the means. This is a dangerous philosophy, but when you remove God, who is the basis of all true morality, things go haywire. That's what's happening in our world. Romans chapter 1 talks about this. I mean, you know, where you can't do, where you can get prosecuted for busting up sea turtle eggs, but it's okay to go and abort your human child. That's messed up logic, but that's what you get when you remove the source of morality. Well, we can't tell what gender somebody is, even though it says on their birth certificate, that's messed up morality. These are all messed up things that don't make logical sense if we'll just step back from the social argument and look at them, yet... When we remove God as a source of morality, that's what happens. And when you do the end justifies the means and the end is not God, there's crazy things that happen. I don't care what it is. In fact, let me show you in an ethics class that I took, we were looking at this and a philosopher looked and he said, let me show you how crazy this can get um, as far as the ends justify the means. Because some people say, and there's a a form of this that says the greater good. So um, the greater good is better for the many than the one. Okay, that's another part of it. Okay, let's say, let's say, for instance, that there's a lady and she has not a million, not a billion, but she has a new thing we call a gazillion dollars. That's what she has. So she has a gazillion dollars. And this lady, nobody likes her. She's just grumpy and stuff. Nobody just likes her. But she's rich, 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 and she enjoys her riches, and she has a gazillion dollars. But she's made this weird thing. You know what I'm going to do? I don't know if I really care or not, but, but when I die, I'm going to write my will. When I die, 
I am going to leave all my money and dedicate it to building a children's hospital that will pursue ending cancer for children and all childhood diseases. That's what I'm going to do. However, it's not until I die. I will enjoy my money until then. And then after that, I'm going to leave my money just so people that hated me so much will still have to see all the wonderful things. My name will be on the hospital. It'll be fantastic. It'll be my last kick at them. And that's what I'm going to do. Man, she's got all this money that kids that are dying now could use, that kids are suffering now could use. But they can't until she dies, and she's had a heart problem, whatever. But and she ends up going into the hospital, but she seems to be pulling out of it. She's doing okay. And a doctor says, you know, she's just one grumpy old woman. There's a lot of kids that could benefit from this. I'm going to get together with the nurse on the night shift. I know how to make this natural. She's dying tonight for the children, for the children. Now, you have to admit, inside of you, there's just a small part that says, I can see that. (laughs) You know it's wrong, don't you? But is there just a little bit of sympathy for the doctor? Maybe just a tad. He's wrong, isn't he? We know why. Because God says that's wrong, that's murder. But under the ends justify the means... That is totally okay. And when we get that idea in our mind, whatever it may be, when we move God off the throne, it's amazing what things that we will do. This, there's some crazy things that we will do. Um, some examples of this shift that can include uh, demonic activity. Um, doubting God's word are one of these things. This is what you're like, not, wait a minute, demons are involved? In, oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Satan himself engaged in this, and he still does it today. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? By the way, that's not exactly what God said. He put a negative spin on it. The serpent, later on, says, The serpent says, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes will be open. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. One of the things Satan does, and his demons do, is try to get us to question God's word. To get us off of God's word. Notice when we do that, who have we removed from the throne? We remove God from the throne. Something else has taken the place there when we do that. Here's another one, pride. Even while working for God... Paul had this advice uh, he gave Timothy when he was talking about those that would be coming up to you, elders, preachers, pastors. He said, not a novice, not a guy that's just been saved. Why? Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Wow. Yeah. Hold off on that guy. I know he seems to be gobbling up spiritual knowledge and he can really speak well. Hold back on him for a little bit lest he falls in the same pride that the devil had. And the devil still fools people with today. i tell you where you can get a major amount of pride is right after a spiritual victory. Yeah, right there. The devil's right there. You did so good. So good. You are so good at this. I mean, so you have grown spiritually so much. Look at you. I mean, just think about it. It's okay to realize the, that's the reality of it. You're great. For that, guess who's on the throne? It ain't God. No, it ain't God. No. Been there, done that. <laughs> I know. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. 
learning your desires. But every man, that means everybody, is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And by the way, that just means desire, whatever that may be. And enticed. Guess who does the enticing? Satan will find out what you like. And it may not be an evil thing. As we were kind of representing kind of a fun way with a sports thing, sports is not bad, but the devil can use sports to get you to be bad. All he has to do, see, this is, I'm trying to get you there. All, all, all he has to do is get you to put that first. That's all. That's all. It doesn't have to be bad. He can just take anything as long as it replaces God as what motivates you and now sets your values and motivations and priorities Good to go. Because you'll do some weird things following that master. Yeah. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin with its finish bringeth forth death. How about this one? Uncontrolled anger. What? Be angry and sin not. Let not sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Nothing can mess you up in a hurry like anger. There are some unholy things that we can do, really nice, wonderful Christian people, in just a few seconds under the influence of anger. And might I add, justification. Like, I'm justified in this. Will you add that one? We can go on a, a holy rant and just go and just uh, do some crazy, ungodly things. It doesn't take long. And the devil loves to work in those areas. Um, unforgiveness. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Somebody may have wronged you. They totally, they're 100% at fault. When you have unforgiveness, Satan will use that in your life. And he will take that. You will remove God from the throne. Why? Because God says to forgive. So when you're not following him, you've already said he's not master right now. You've made something else the master. And unforgiveness will chain you and make you do things you, weren't, you wouldn't do otherwise. Can I illustrate? If you see that person at a party or an event coming up this Christmas season, and they're there, guess what you'll do? Normally you would have gone over and talked to them and the person they're talking to, but now you won't. Normally, you would have been having fun and showing the joy of the Lord. Now you're not. See? It's not even you it's doing it anymore. You are in shackles. You are serving a different master. This is idolatry. You have a different master. Let me tell you this. You know you've made the switch from God to something else. When for a certain thing or person, you are frequently willing to violate God's word and or not follow the Spirit. Yeah. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit, we know we're supposed to do those things. When I'm going against that and I can sit there and justify it, I've removed God from the throne. Something else or someone else is in the lead. And that whole thing of the ends justified the means will start to play out. I will do whatever it takes to serve that master. The rest areas of my life I've seen to be okay for the moment. Now it'll start messing with the rest of them too. But you look in your life and notice. Next time that you notice that, you're like, you know what? That's not really part of the fruit of the Spirit. You know what? That's not really the way God's Word goes. And you notice you've been justifying it. 
You be careful. One time, you can, okay, you just messed up. But you notice that's frequently happening around something? You're replacing that thing as an idol because it's making the rules in your life, not God. Yeah. So, and of course, if you're doing that in a lot of areas, maybe you've made yourself God. Yeah, it may be you got to have made yourself God. Third of all, the caution of divine jealousy. He says in the last verse we're looking at tonight, do we provoke the Lord of jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Well, obviously that second question is a rhetorical question. We know that's no. Okay, but do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Now, here's a deal. I think Oprah Winfrey has had problems with this before and some others have had problems. Is God right to be jealous? I mean, come on, don't we talk that jealousy is a bad thing? Well, look, our jealousy is generally wrong. Now, a lot of people say it's always wrong. But I would even say that perhaps I can get it if perhaps, you know, you're jealous as far as your wife for your wife or whatever in a way. And others would say, no, I wouldn't even use that word there. But anyway, I was leaving a little bit of a, a gap there. But pretty much we know that that's a wrong thing. What, why is it? Because the things aren't ours. Whatever we're jealous for is not really ours. We want it. It's not really ours. Here's the difference. This is not true of God. Everything is God's. God owns everything. He made it. He holds it into being. It, it tells in the Bible it is for his glory. It's his. And as far as people go, he loves us with an amazing love. So his jealousy is a holy and not sinful jealousy that is well, I mean, it's supposed to be there. It makes sense. It flows from his love and his right to everything and everyone in this universe. Okay? So when he uses this verse, he's really targeting back to something in Deuteronomy where God said this, They have moved me or provoked me to jealousy with that which is not God. Speaking of the Israelites, They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. He's judging them. The future, he will judge them, which he did. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish or a nation that doesn't know God. That's what I will do. You see, God enacts chastisement on them, and he did that exact thing to Israel. He sure did. So once again, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? He's warning them. And he's hearkening back to those verses that Pastor Josh covered last week Look, Israel was special. Did God spare them his chastisement and his judgment? No. Same thing for you. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? No. No. So he is telling them to flee idolatry. There's a command to flee idolatry. Realize it's when we engage in that kind of service like they were doing, it's a communion with the spiritual, and I mean the dark side. And finally, there's a caution of divine jealousy. We need to admit, keep in mind that God is jealous for us. And that means he will, as some have said, take things away if he needs to. He'll make changes if he needs to. Because he has a deserved jealousy for each one of us. And that's what he's supposed to be first place. Brother Chris, a reminder tonight, this following uh, the scripture that we went over last week, you say, well, idolatry is not something I struggle with. 